Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Thus we are encouraged to pray. More specifically, Jesus encourages us to pray the Lord's Prayer. For the next several weeks, I'm going to be bringing messages related to the Lord's Prayer. My name is Hal Brady. Thank you for joining me tonight, and I trust that you'll join me in the future. It is my prayer that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from two places, from Matthew chapter 6 and from Luke chapter 11. Would you hear the Word of God, please? When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as also we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And then we turn to Luke chapter 11. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A number of years ago, a United Methodist minister boarded an airplane. He sat right next to Fulton Sheen, the renowned Catholic bishop. He was so pleased to have this opportunity because Bishop Sheen was known for preaching the gospel to millions of people. In the process of their conversation, this minister asked the bishop, what is the secret of your ministry? Bishop Sheen said, I really don't know. But he said, I do want you to know that for the 56 years of my ministry, I've been in prayer one hour every day before the Mass. Like Bishop Sheen, Jesus did not so much talk about prayer as he actually prayed. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed during the temptation experience. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the evening. 
He prayed alone. He prayed with his disciples. He prayed during times of stress. He prayed before his miracles. He prayed in the crisis. He prayed all the time. Charles Lehman, the scholar, said, prayer was the very act of living for Jesus. According to Luke's gospel, Jesus had been with his disciples and they had seen him praying. They had made the amazing connection between his marvelous life in public and his secret life of prayer. And they wanted what he had. They had sensed his power. So it doesn't surprise us that they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Matthew puts the occasion of the Lord's prayer in a different situation. He puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had been telling these people not to put everything into empty phrases or not to pray just so the people could see them in public like the hypocrites. So he gave them an example of prayer. So he gave them the Lord's Prayer. I want you to notice that in this prayer, Jesus puts God first. The focus is on God, not on self, not on our needs, not on anything. The focus is on God. Once we get God in proper place, everything else will work out itself. I remember reading about two ministers. One of these ministers was older and the one was younger. They were rooming together at a certain conference. The night when they got ready to go to bed, they both got on their knees and prayed. The young minister prayed a long prayer. The older minister prayed a short time and then he got into bed. And after they had both gotten into bed, the older minister said to the younger minister, I notice you've prayed a long, long time. And the young minister said in something of a prideful tone, yes, I pray this way all the time. The older minister said, well, I'm with God all day long, referring to him, listening to him, talking to him. So when I come to bedtime, I don't think I need to do anything but just say good night. That older minister's prayer is much like the methodology of Jesus on praying. Whenever we get God in the proper place, all other prayers and all other ideas will work themselves out in the proper place. Pray then this way, he said, Our Father who art in heaven. This is the address of the prayer. To pray our Father who art in heaven is to acknowledge God as our perfect Father. To acknowledge God as our perfect Father. Now, the word Father is a metaphor for God. But for many, it's an unfortunate metaphor. You see, these people, when they think of the Father, they think of, think of the rough times they had with their father in human form. In a certain children's home, there was a minister that said he could not pray the Lord's Prayer because there was a young girl there who was 13, but from the age of seven, she had been abused by her father. And so every time he mentioned the word father, she had a violent attack. So he couldn't pray father. At any rate, many of us have experienced harsh, hard fathers. We've known our fathers as derelicts or alcoholics or drug addicts or something similar. In other words, as one who destroyed our childhood. I remember reading a story about a little boy who was told by his father to shut the door. He didn't. He refused. Later, a little girl who'd overheard the conversation was asked what she thought should happen to him. Rather than saying a whipping, she said he needs a father. He needs a father. Another problem with father for many people is that many people view the word father as sexist. They think that the male imagery of God is not fitting. Now, I don't know whether the word father is sexist or not. I do know 
that the word Father does not get the full meaning of what we mean when we say God. In the Bible, there are other metaphors for God. For instance, mother, creator, shepherd, etc. In his book, The Idea of the Holy, Rudolf Otto reminds us that it is impossible for the finite human mind to comprehend the infinite eternal God. He states, if the human mind could fully explain God, then God would cease to exist. What this means is that no matter what we call God, we come up short and inadequate with our definition. Now, in the light of all of this, what we need to understand is something of what Jesus thought when he used the term Father. Remember what he said. He said, Our Father, but he didn't just stop there. He said, Our Father who art in heaven. Heaven is not simply a place of location. It's not simply a place where he resides. What he means is this. The phrase, who art in heaven, is rather a description of God. Heaven is synonymous with perfection. Jesus might have said, our perfect father, when he said that. It would have been exactly the same thing. What he was doing, he was saying that all of our human perceptions of the father are incorrect. They are not perfect. But he's saying, our heavenly father is perfect. So hear me now. Though the thought of God is not original with Jesus... He added great meaning to the word Father. And so we want to understand what he added. He realized that the Father was his own Father in his own life. He was the one that gave the concept of God warmth and personal assent. He was the one that taught us to pray our Father boldly. He was the one that blew the socks off all religious enterprises when he used the word Abba for Father, my Papa or my Daddy. What he was doing was using a word that came out of the Jewish home life. When a little child in Aramaic would talk about his father, he would use the word Abba or Daddy. That's what he was saying. You know, there's a story about a Roman emperor who had conquered many peoples. So like they did in Rome, they let the emperor parade down the streets of Rome with all of his prisoners and with all of his booty, and they would march down before the people. The people of Rome would crowd the streets. The legionaries would be there keeping peace and not letting anybody get out of place. Well, there was a place along this parade route where there was a, a step up, sort of a stage, where the empress sat with her children. These are the empress. She sat with her children. The youngest was a little boy. So when this little boy saw the empress chariot coming, he jumped off the stage and he ran out to greet the chariot. In the meantime, a big legionnaire picked him up and said, Where are you going? You can't go out there. Do you know who's in that chariot? That is the emperor's chariot. The little boy started laughing. He said, He may be your emperor, but he's also my father. As Jesus would say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. Not long ago, I read one of the most meaningful illustrations about this very thing. Max Lucado had given it, and I want to adapt it. He talked about a portrait that had been drawn for us. And if we look at this portrait, we can see ourselves. Here's a portrait, a picture, a tender picture of a father and a son. Behind him is a big house. Down the hill, the father had run with all of his speed. Up the path, the son had struggled. They had met at the gate. We can't see the son's face because it's buried in the father's clothes. We can see how the mud is on his back and how tattered his robe is. We can see the dirt on his shoulder and we can see the empty purse, a purse that used to be full of money and a son that used to be full of pride, but that was several taverns ago. Now, 
this son has come. He's in desolate poverty. He's also in desolation himself. He comes and he doesn't offer any explanation. He only offers a rehearsed apology. He says, Father, I have sinned against you. I have done you wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, Max Lucado says this. Here, this son is willing to disown his sonship from the father. But he said, the problem is the father's not willing to disown his fatherhood from the son. So what does the father do? He immediately calls with great haste. He calls them to bring a robe, bring up a, a ring, bring the sandals, bring the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration tonight. My son is dead, is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, don't miss the meaning of this. We may be willing to stop our sonship or daughterhood to God, but God is never willing to stop his fatherhood to us, and that is our eternal hope. To pray then, our Father who art in heaven, is to acknowledge God as our perfect Father. Secondly, to pray, our Father who art in heaven, is to acknowledge all people as our brothers and sisters. Jesus was real serious about the fact that his father was the father of all people everywhere. Notice he didn't just say, our father. He didn't just say, my father or your father. Precisely, he said, our father who art in heaven. Our perfect father who is in heaven for Jesus. God is the father of all humankind from every corner of the world. His fatherhood, the hour in his fatherhood cuts across all barriers that the world can put before it. So how do we know that this fatherhood includes everybody in the world and not just those disciples or not just those Christians or not just Christians today? Listen to what this professor says, and I think this is wonderful. He says, the answer depends upon Jesus' total outlook. If God is the father of all humankind, then potentially this is the prayer for all humankind. Its inclusiveness is its grandeur as it sets forth the extent of God's love and the goal of salvation in Christ. To limit it would be to change the character of Jesus' message. So the hour in Our Father is not the Baptist hour, it's not the Methodist hour, it's not the Protestant hour, it's not the Christian hour, it's the hour for all of us, it's the universal hour. You know, Roberta Bundy is a professor of church history. She described in her book, as she reflected on the Lord's Prayer, something that happened. She said for weeks, for weeks, she had a problem with forgiveness of someone that she felt had betrayed her. For weeks, this went on. She couldn't seem to get over it. She couldn't talk to a friend because a friend didn't know that she felt that way. She didn't ask forgiveness anymore because she couldn't seem to forgive. She said one morning, though, she prayed the Lord's Prayer in a different way. She prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, and then immediately she followed it by saying, My Father and Jane Ann's Father. You see, when she put her father and Jane Ann's father together, and they became our father, suddenly she changed. Everything changed. She was able to forgive and move on. A Hindu said, Why do you seek to come to God with your eyes closed? Come to God with your eyes open. And you can see him in the form of the poor, the starved, the afflicted. You can see him in the form of all of those people. Oscar Schindler had a lot of characteristics that were not too good. He was a womanizer. He was a heavy drinker. He was a Nazi. But at the same time, he had a deep compassion for the Jews who had been condemned in Krakow, Poland. And 
What he wanted to do was save the people that Hitler condemned. Hitler wanted to kill them. He wanted to save them. He couldn't save them all, but he saved a few. So what we had was this factory that was supposed to be for profit was suddenly turned into a human factory for 1,100 people who were fortunate enough to have their name on his list, Schindler's List. If you saw that movie, you know how it concluded. The war ended, the Nazis were defeated. That meant that people like Schindler, who had been the hunters, were now going to be the hunted. The people were free. So he wanted to escape one night, so he went out in the dark, and he was getting ready to start his car. When the lights went on, he noticed the people lined up on both sides of the highway. They were there because they wanted to thank him for saving them in that, victor in that factory. They also had put their names on a card thanking him for what he had done for each one specifically. And they put a message. They put a message in a gold tooth they had extracted from one of the factory workers. It simply says, he who saves a single life saves the entire world. He who saves a single life saves the entire world. That's another way of simply saying, our Father, our Father. And then thirdly, here's something else to consider. To pray, our Father who art in heaven, is to acknowledge ourselves as his sons and daughters. To acknowledge ourselves as his sons and daughters. While unquestionably, God is the Father of everybody, it is generally the disciples they can only understand this prayer. When Jesus used the word Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, he was referring to his own relationship with God, how he had perceived God in reality, and how he had understood God presently. So you see, it's the same with us. While God is our Father for all people, it is only his disciples that can really understand the meaning of this prayer. It is only his disciples they can really understand the meaning of this prayer because it is only the disciples that can begin to pray for the kingdom to come, for the will be done, for forgiveness to take place, for protection against temptations to take place, for bread to be given. It is only disciples that can understand that. Roberta Bondi mentioned some characteristics of friendship. You remember what God said, I no longer call you servant, but now I call you friend. I like her characteristics of friendship. Listen to how she listed them. She said, friends share the same desires. Friends share with each other what they're thinking and feeling. Friends hold each other accountable, and friends need each other. I repeat, it's only because these disciples know God as their heavenly Father, because they are disciples, that they can understand what the prayer means when it prays for the kingdom to come, God's will to be done, temptation to be moved away from, forgiveness to take place, and bread to be given. Now, I want to bring this to a conclusion by giving you a personal experience. I lost my mother when I was 10 years of age. I don't know how it was at your house when report card time came, but I remember how it was at my house. I would present my report card to my father. He would take the card, and he wouldn't read it till he sat down in the leather chair in the den. I got the impression he was trying to help me understand what the judgment was. But anyway, he'd say something like this. Son, if this is the best you could do, I'd be proud of you. But he would say, son, this is not the best you could do. And I kept wondering, how does he know what the best I can do? And then I decided he'd caught me up between two sisters. Both of my sisters were straight-A students, and I was caught in between. 
Well, one six weeks, my father became so upset with my grades that he said, you're going to go upstairs and sit in your room two hours every day. If you don't crack a book or not, you're going to sit there two hours every day. Well, I was too smart to say anything to him, but a little resentment built up in my heart, and I thought, well, I'll just go up there and sit for two hours. And then I'd hear my father on the steps. There were 24 steps up to my room. He'd come up to my room, and he'd pull me over, and he said, son, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't be asking you to do this. And you know what would happen? That resentment would just melt away. I'm a dog man. Even though I've had one cat in my life, it was a little cat called White Sox, had four uh, white feet, a black cat, four white feet. But my father decided it was time for me to go to Bar Rest Boys Ranch in Warm Springs, Georgia to spend two weeks looking after horses. Well, I went over there and stayed two weeks, and my father picked me up on that Sunday, and he was taking me back to my hometown, LaGrange. He said, son, White Sox is dead. Somebody ran over your cat. Well, that didn't sit too well with a small boy. I didn't say anything, and my father didn't say anything. I'm sure he didn't know what else to say. But when we got to LaGrange, my hometown, we pulled in the driveway. He said, come with me. I want to show you something behind this garage. When I went back behind the garage, there was a brand-new pony. Needless to say, I didn't think too much more of White Sox. My father died in 1977. Do you think I'll ever forget him? Not a chance. Why? Because he was my father, my daddy. He knew me, he loved me, and I loved him, and I knew him. So when you pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, pray it as a member of his family. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you've allowed us to call you our Father. We're grateful, O oh God, that you are perfect in every way, and yet you love us anyway. We're grateful, O oh God, you love us in our imperfections. You love us in spite of our wrongdoings. But we do know you call us to live above all of our wrongdoings and our imperfections. So help us, O oh God, to be faithful to you in every way. Thank you again for the privilege of calling you our Father. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this service tonight. I trust that it's been a blessing, and I hope you'll share this with others. If you want to see some of these other messages or hear the music, tune into my website. It's HalBradyMinistries.com. Have a good evening. Thank you.